Happy New Year, and welcome to the first 2019 episode of Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. The start of a new year is always an opportunity to take a step back from the day-to-day parliamentary chaos and from our own busy campaign schedules to look at the political processes taking place under the surface. This week, Sarah speaks to Socialist Party General Secretary Peter Taff about what we can expect from politics in 2019 in Britain and around the world. A quick appeal before we start. This year, we'd like to start featuring short clips demonstrating some of the Socialist Party's excellent campaign work in these podcasts. If you have a video or sound file from a recent demonstration or other campaign activity that you'd like us to share, or if you're able to record a short interview with a campaigner in your area, we'd love to hear from you. Email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Now over to Sarah Rack. Okay, welcome to the first Socialism podcast of 2019. I'm here today with Peter Taff. Hi, Peter. Hi. And today we're going to be discussing 2019 and what the Socialist Party sees ahead in this year. Um, So to start with that kind of general question then, Peter, obviously we're in a very unstable and unpredictable time in politics. So is it even possible to make any comments about what we might expect from this year? Yes, I think it is possible. But of course, it has to be like a broad canvas. You can't predict predict exactly how events are likely to work out. But one thing we can say safely is the features of 2018 uh, uh, will be continued in 2019. That is the general crisis of capitalism. Together with that, the crisis of working class leadership, the search for a socialist and a left alternative in a mass form, which is also being characterised by this situation, and also by the efforts of the ruling class to head off the undoubted radicalisation from below that is taking place, and to use that to try and swing opinion in the direction of the right, of the conservative right, the traditional right, but also of, uh, if they can't do that, in favour of right-wing populism that eventually does not offer a real alternative to the system. But the crisis of capitalism will be deepened in the next period because there's no way out that the bosses can find for the system. And alongside this crisis of capitalism will be the enormous concentration and centralisation of capital, the development of more economic power in the hands of the tiny elite that dominates society, a handful, really, of the bosses, where, for instance, in today's press, in the first three days of this year, or two and a half days, to be more exact, the bosses of the biggest monopolies in Britain and worldwide have earned more in those two and a half days than the average worker will earn in the whole of 2019. Mm. Now, that's an astonishing figure particularly if you take it against the background of what Joseph Stiglitz pointed out, that the handful of people control the wealth of America in terms of more than 50% of the population. That's replicated in Britain, it's replicated in all countries. And we are the only ones, I have to say, unfortunately, we wish it was much bigger than us, and that will come, (coughs) who are saying that the crisis of capitalism is the crisis of this elite. 
They're trying to do everything to, to prevent working people from drawing the obvious conclusions of taking the power out of the hands of this, not 1%, but the 0.001%, the handful of coupon clippers that control the economy to eliminate boom and bust, which is a feature of capitalism. For instance, many of the commentators are mentioning today that there seems to be a 10-year cycle now in a, in a boom period, by the way, which is something that Marx predicted and seemed to be overcome in the, the post-1945, 1950-75 period, when the boom lasted much longer than this time scale. Now we see that it's resorting to the norm under capitalism, with a 10-year cycle where there's an illusion of a growth in the economy, and therefore the, the, the illusion is, is a growth in the economy, but also the contradictions of capitalism grow in this period. Less and less share of the wealth going to the working class, which complicates the position of capitalism, means that there's no market for the goods produced by the capitalists, piles up the opposition of working people, and is preparing the basis for the kind of political storms that we saw in the course of 2018. And so kind of ordinary people's anger at some of the points that you've just made um, was seen at the end of last year uh, and I think it's continuing now, particularly in France, wasn't it? What do, what do, we, uh, what do those events show us? <coughs> well, what they demonstrate above all is this colossal oppositional mood that at the moment is not finding an expression in the traditional parties. Even the traditional parties are what were in the past the working class. There's no mass force that uh, articulates the demands of the working class. Melanchon puts forward some of the demands and therefore in this situation, and particularly in the traditions of the French working class, which is not like the British or the German, that has the tendency in those two countries for the working class to move through their traditional organisations, the French working class have a tradition of spontaneous revolt. We've seen it throughout in some of the French Revolution, I've written a book on the French Revolution right up to today that when the masses become discontented, they take to the streets. Macron famously said when he came to power, we're going to abolish this movement on the streets. And by the way, um, Melanchon answered him very well and said, well, your proposal to abolish movements on the streets, he said, the streets cut off the head of the king in the Russian Revolution guaranteed a shorter working week. In other words, mass action showed the way forward for working people in South America. Unfortunately, Melanchon does not organise that mass action. So what the movement around the yellow vests, and it's been incredible the way that that has continued over the Christmas holiday period, right from the beginning, you've had movements still taking place on the barricades to begin with. That was a spontaneous movement, really leaderless. There wasn't any leadership in that as such. And that's why there were forces from the left and the right who participated in this movement. It's beginning to cohere a little bit now, more towards the left, towards the idea that it's the working class that is the major force in society. The movement has subsided as a mass force, not the same kind of force as we saw before, but in contained in this movement is the future, in a way, of the working class of Europe, and not just of Europe, but of the world. It's not an accident, accident that the uh, Egyptian dictatorship has actually bound, banned mm -hmm. yellow vests, because they can see that the masses in Egypt 
who after all, heroically overthrew the regimes of 2011 and went a long way to try and carry through a revolution, have now been saddled with this military dictatorship of Morsi and the ruling class are panicking and trying to prevent another movement in Egypt, the same in other countries throughout the world. And therefore, the movement in France is highly symptomatic of the general mood that's developing amongst working people that will challenge capitalism, despite the fact that the forces, the organised forces of the left are quite small at this particular moment in time. And back closer to home then, um, it seems like Theresa May is just about clinging on at the moment by the, the tips of her fingers. Yes. But then that's a point that we've made <coughs> about May since she came to power, in fact, that yes. she's been in a very uh, weak position. Um, do you think that at the end of when we have this same discussion this time next year, May will still be uh, in position? And in fact, will she even <coughs> get through the, the next stage of the Brexit um, negotiations? Well, that's a very good question because... Um, the short answer is nobody, least of all here, can tell what's going to happen next week, mm. never mind next month or next year. The whole situation is volatile. It's the characteristic that I've mentioned in relation to world capitalism at the present time. And there doesn't seem to be one particular policy that could solve temporarily even this problem of Brexit. All you can say is that the crisis that is being provoked by Brexit was, was endemic to British capitalism. We've said for a while that the major party of British capitalism, the Tory party, that's got the most successful electoral record in Western Europe in relation to winning elections, that has stayed relatively united for a century and a half, or more than that, really now faces the biggest split that it's faced since the Corn Laws of the early 19th century, that it didn't recover from for a long period of time. It's split into factions. The only thing that's holding the government together and the different wings of the Tory party is the spectre of a Corbyn government and of a general election which would bring the Corbyn government to power. But there's no policy that could satisfy all wings of the Tory party. You can't say exactly. I mean, we could maybe give a give a more uh, determined or a more accurate reflection in a week's time when Parliament returns, whether there'll be a no-deal Brexit, which will be will undoubtedly be a catastrophe for British capitalism, will aggravate all the problems of the economy, or some kind of deal will be sold on the basis of a limited uh, Brexit with all the different alternatives. It won't solve the problem. At best, it will be a question of kicking the can down the road and this question will come back to haunt the Tories and also haunt the Labour Party, it, 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 the Labour Party as well. Our position on this question, that's the position of the Socialist Party, of socialists in general, is that this crisis over Brexit and over the, the, the EU is a reflection of our generalised criticism of what is a capitalist project. Those people in the Labour movements like Paul Mason, who comes from the left, even, you could say, in the past came from a Trotskyist uh, tradition. He claimed that, at least, that he's put forward the idea, as others on the left have done, where we have to support the EU because it's relatively progressive against the other proposals or solutions that are being put forward 
by those who were in favour of a form of Brexit. Our opposition is we neither support the uh, a pro-capitalist position on Brexit or the pro-capitalist position of supporting the EU. The EU is a capitalist project. It's a neoliberal project whose aim is to undermine the conditions and the rights of the working class. And we put forward a socialist solution in favour of a left working class Brexit that, if you like, then fights against the neoliberal aspects of the, of the EU, particularly in relation to wages, the right to move the labour force around Europe and get the, the lowest possible wages, all the points that we've made on this question in the past. We're opposed to the EU, but the alternative is not to stop the world. We want to get off and go back to an isolated Britain because the essence of the EU, and there's a grain of truth in this in what the right-wing Tories say, is that production runs now, that's the, the means of production, which is science, technique, and the organisation of labour, have now developed on a scale where they demand the reorganisation or the managing of this on a continental and even on a world scale. The huge monopolies plan not for a little market, which is a small market of 60 million or 70 million people, but look towards the biggest market in the world, which is the EU, or towards the American or the, the Asian or the world market itself. We say we're opposed to this capitalist project. We don't. We believe that Paul Mason and people like that are trying to pour into this vessel, this, this EU, an element of progressiveness that is not there. It is not able to take society forward. And what is our alternative? Our alternative is a socialist confederation of Europe in which the rights of the working class will be guaranteed. They'll be united on a continental basis. And in that way, we can develop the productive forces in harmony to the benefit of the working class of the whole of Europe. And on the basis <clears> of that then, what do you think about Corbyn's position on this issue at the moment? Well, Corbyn, unfortunately, the main thing to see in relation to Corbyn and the Labour Party is he represented a new party in the process of formation that was breaking with Blairism. It was uh, a political revolution within the ranks of the Labour Party itself. And we gave full support to that. We didn't agree with all of his programme, but nevertheless we gave him critical support in breaking from Blairism and breaking from the right. But unfortunately, this civil war is still incomplete. It's not being com completed because Corbyn and the left, and particularly Momentum, which is largely, it's not a workers' movement coming into the Labour Party and transforming it. It's a largely middle-class, well-meaning middle-class radicals but who haven't got a clear idea of what the Labour Party should be putting forward at the present time, many of them are for Remain. Now, if the Remain position is accepted, and Corbyn understands this, by the way, Labour will alienate huge swathes of the population in the North and elsewhere who voted Leave because, at bottom, it was opposition to the control of the market by big business. We don't agree with the narrow nationalists, as I've said, we're for a socialist, but also a working class and international approach to the EU. So Corbyn is trying to steer a line between the right, the pro-Remain right, and also some of the left as well, who are mistaken, in our opinion, like Momentum, of support for Remain, and the Leavers, which includes people on the right, who wouldn't be seen 
dead in collaboration with people on the left, mm -hmm. such as ourselves, but who are echoing the demands of their own constituents, if they take up a, a remain position, they would lose their majority. Corbyn understands this, and he also understands that if he puts down a vote of no confidence in the, the government, in the Houses of Commons, then, and, and that is defeated, then the other the, the alternative, which is the, which is the theme of the right, that's the right wing of the Labour Party, that's off the table now, a general election. So the only alternative is to, fan, to, is to campaign for a new referendum. Corbyn correctly has rejected that mm -hmm. and is arguing for the, the idea of a general election in which all the issues will be put to the people, in which he will have the opportunity of putting forward the same elements against austerity that he put forward in relation to the last general election in the manifesto that went behind, over the heads of the right-wing parliamentary Labour Party and the MPs, based themselves upon the unions and the working class and so on, and had a spectacular result, not sufficient to defeat the Tories, but a huge increase in the support for Labour. So that's kind of um, the aspects of chaos, the Brexit chaos in Britain. Uh, and actually, there's it's kind of thrown uh, the capitalist class into to panic in Europe as well, hasn't it? The, the Brexit process. But really, that chaos is just one example of uh, shifting world relations at the moment, isn't it? Yes. Yet again, that's, that's hitting the nail on the head. And it's not just a European phenomenon. It's a world phenomenon. And the important thing to see is that this crisis in Britain is not just um, a crisis for Britain, Brexit, but if it's carried through, or half or a quarter carried through, let's say, it has enormous repercussions for the rest of Europe. Because the same contradictions exist, even worse, by the way, in Italy, mm. or in Greece, that came very near to breaking from the EU, in the crisis of 2015, 2016 and so on, and earlier. And in Italy at the present time, with the, 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 the government, including populists of the left and of the right, that government could quite easily break with the EU or with its budget proposals, which is an, another attempt by the EU powers to inflict austerity on, Israel, on, on Italy, and as a result of this, you could have, for instance, uh, Italy deciding to break from the euro. And not just Italy. What about Germany, in which every, all parties are in turmoil at the present time? At the moment, the Germans have been the main beneficiaries mm. of the EU. But what if the bill climbs and they are responsible for this? And then there's a myriad number of other examples that exist in the rest of Europe. That's why... The Socialist Party historically has been correct. For instance, in our opposition to the Euro, we had some discussion in our ranks, well, would, would, it be, would they be able to carry it through, carry this project through? And we at one stage said, no, the contradictions were too great, but it was based upon a boom, so the Euro was, was able to be introduced. But the idea of the Euro lasting a long-term currency presupposes a European unity between the bourgeois, that's the capitalist, which is not there. So the euro could go, especially in the next big crisis that, that affects the EU and affects world capitalism. So this is part of the, the crisis in Europe, but then we have the crisis which in many ways is bigger <clears throat> than the crisis we have <clears throat> in Europe in relation to the US.
mm. where the Trump regime got a bloody nose in the, in the in the midterm elections. If that would have taken place in Britain, with the number of number of, of, of voters, for it, particularly in the Senate race, in, in the in the Congress, in the Senate race, it, it was a different picture. But if the swing towards the Democrats was about seven or eight percent, if that would have been replicated in Britain, that would have been a landslide victory for Labour, let's say, if they got that kind of vote because of the electoral system. Mm -hmm. So the writing is on the wall for Trump. He's still got a reservoir of support amongst his base in the former deindustrialized areas, but it's possible that the war, the trade war between China and the US, which is already having an effect, it's only a certain amount has been carried through but at the present time, it's not been carried through to the extent that Trump was promising. And he carries through some measures and then hesitates and tends to draw back. But if that develops even further into an even more all-out trade war, the whole of world capitalism will be affected, like the effects of the Smoot-Hawley Act in the 1930s. And the political repercussions of that are going to be huge. So we have a standoff at the present time in the, in the, in the Congress or a close-down of the, of the American government because Trump is trying to blackmail the Congress into financing this crazy war between the U.S. and Mexico. And at the moment, the Democrats are holding out. And it's a question, really, of who gives first, first in relation to this. But this is also a manifestation, a reflection of the split in the ruling class of the U.S. There's not, there's not a clear way forward for the U.S. ruling class, which is in turn a reflection of the economic weaknesses of what is still the major world economic power of capitalism and also the major military power at the present time. But the processes that's developing is beginning to undermine that in the US and you can foresee a situation where it will be overtaken by China in many fields in the economy and so on. And then there's the question of the looming new economic crisis that can break out any time. That will have huge repercussions in pushing forward <clears throat> the incipient splits that exist in all the parties, with divisions, further divisions in the in the Republican Party, with huge divisions opening up in the Democratic Party, with all now a radical wing of new people who've been elected and so on. Um, but they are they represent the first stages of a radicalization of the American working class of the transformation of the trade unions, which is in its first period. And on the basis of these events, the rising of a new powerful labor movement in the working class in which Marxism and the solstice will play a key role. So we've mainly talked about so far the, um, the capitalist class and what we might uh, see from them and are seeing from them so far in 2019. In terms of the working class, the other side of it, and how the working class is responding to this situation, there's kind of two main sides, which you just touched on there a bit, I suppose. Um, one is in terms of working class struggle, uh, you know, in terms of the trade union movement, the events in France and so on. And then the others is in terms of which political forces are being looked to by different sections of the working class at the moment. Do you want to speak to that a bit? Well, that, that's, a, a, again, a, you know, a, a very relevant and topical question because you can have all the analysis in the world, but Marxist ideas, I'll put it simply, or Marxist theory is not just a question of being clever about understanding the situation. For us, in the words of Marx, 
Theory is a guide to action. So our analysis of the situation, from that we derive how we think the working class will move under the impact of events. And within that, how we, as a conscious force, can intervene and assemble the forces together with others that can carry through the socialist transformation of society. In a, in a short th thumbnail sketch, mm. that's what we are all about. So therefore, the, the, uh, this issue of uh, where, what, where, where are the forces coming for this? If you take the last period, the last historical period from 2007 9, 2007 to 2008, 2009, that was the greatest crisis in the history of world capitalism since the depression of the 1930s. Um, some people even say it's of a, of a greater order. World capitalism got itself out of that crisis in a way, but not completely. Because while the economy in America increased by X amount, unemployment dropped to the lowest level they claimed for 39 years, this boom was one-sided. It was a boom. And in certain sense, it was good <clears throat> because those workers who were made unemployed went back into the factories, began to struggle, and there was a revival of the working class movement itself. So there's been a certain revival on the industrial plane. That's a generalised feature of the world, not the explosions and the fireworks that we've seen in France, literally and figuratively, but also what we will see in other countries in the next period. Now, on the basis of that experience, the working class are turning events and they are turning events over in their mind and pondering, well, what is the alternative? And that's where politics, which is, after all, generalised economics in the words of Lenin, how the politics come into the situation where everywhere <coughs> the question is posed, what is the way forward in terms of a political force and the programme that can arm working people politically for this struggle to come? Social democracy has failed. Even in its strongest base, here in social democracy, classical social democracy collapsed with the collapse of Blairism. They're attempting to make a comeback, but it's like a corpse that's trying to struggle to get out of the, the, uh, the coffin. Um, and if they succeed, they might succeed in splitting part of the Labour Party, but in a way they will not be a viable force because the basis of social democracy has been undermined, which was of getting the reforms on the basis of capitalism and then gradually moving towards a more egalitarian society. Blairism has failed, and it's failed. All the cousins of Blair in Western Europe have failed. In Germany, for instance, the social democracy, that was a mighty force, that was in a certain sense, along with the Christian Democrats, the strongest force in Europe up to the recent period, <clears throat> is now down to 14 or 15 percent in the polls, is faced with a crisis, it's disappeared in Greece. It could make a comeback, unfortunately, because of the mistakes that have been made by Syriza and the, the, the lack of an alternative in carrying and presiding over austerity. It's laying the basis for a return for the right. But there are other workers who are looking for an alternative to the left. And Corbyn represented that in the first period. It's not completely exhausted because Corbyn is drawing his main support now from the trade unions, particularly from Unite, <clears throat> that correctly, Lenny McCluskey has had discussions with us and so on. Lenny McCluskey is quite correctly saying, and we have comrades on the executive <coughs> of, of Unite, <coughs> has actually said, has warned against the idea of a new referendum, 
has advocated, you know, holding out for the new general election and for the Corbyn government coming to power, which terrifies the ruling class because of the objective economic situation and the political situation. Once or if a Corbyn government comes to power, it's not certain, but if it comes to power, it will ignite an enormous radicalisation mood in a revolution of expectations, really, of what that government should be doing on behalf of working people. This process will be repeated in all the countries of Europe. It's not a, 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 a subjective process. We raise the question of new mass parties and forces of the working class. That arises from the objective needs of working people in this situation. We participate in that process. We try and fructify it, if you like, with the ideas of socialism, of democratic socialism, of Marxism, and the idea of a transformation of society. That process is taking place. The change in consciousness of the working class in Britain, in France, of course, we've touched on, in Germany itself, <clears throat> where the Greens, for instance, have made a certain comeback because they're the default party of people who are looking for a radical alternative. The, the left party has not uh, intervened as they should have done and gained in this situation, but they're still there. They could gain as a force. More importantly, inside the social democracy, a left could develop. It's not immediately visible and on the cards. And that similar process is taking place in Spain, not in the social democracy, unfortunately, or even in the, some of the new radical forces that have risen there, but our co-thinkers in the uh, School Students' Union have found enormous support on the issue of, uh, of uh, the attacks on, of, on women and on the attacks on youth and so on, of calling for working-class action in that uh, situation. So we're very enthusiastic and hopeful about the situation that will open up in the next year. It might not immediately develop, but the process at the beginning of the transformation and the situation in the consciousness of the working class will develop in this period. And <clears throat> But then it's not only been the left that's gained, has it? There's also been gains for some um, different types of right-wing uh, organisations, which is like you mentioned at the start, um, and particularly recently, I suppose, that we've seen in Brazil. Yes. Yeah, populism, if you like it, to use the, the term of the press and the ruling class, it's a term to cover a multitude of sins, actually, a multitude of different phenomena. But in general, what it represents is that where the traditional parties, both of capitalism and of the labour movement, have failed, of social democracy, then, in relation to the, the, the right populists, they put forward a demagogic programme to seduce the, the support for workers, <coughs> like in Italy at the present time, like in Eastern Europe and so on, and they can have a temporary success. Or have left populism, for want of a different expression, it's a nebulous form of discussion, but right populism has particularly developed, as you pointed out in the case of Bolsonaro in Brazil, and it's come as a shock to the population of Brazil, to the working class in particular, but also in relation to the masses of Latin America and could presage similar developments elsewhere in Latin America, of a new dark period, if you like, of right-wing governments that will intensify the oppression of the working class, not just in terms of wages and conditions, but in, in terms of the democratic rights, or, for instance, acting against civil liberties and the rights of gays, of lesbians, of the trans people in Brazil and so on, all of which we will defend and link it to the struggles of the working class and the labour movement, 
But Bolsonaro has come to power. That's the price that Brazil and the working class has been forced to pay because of the failure of the left and the failure particularly of the Workers' Party, of the, which was the main force of the working class of Brazil, which came to power, acted within the confines of capitalism, carried through counter-reforms, disillusioned workers, enormous chaos developed, more murders in Brazil than in Syria in, Syria in the course of last year, and all of this allowed Bolsonaro demagogically to whip up the forces of the right, a certain disillusionment with the Workers' Party from the left. Lula is, is in prison at the present time. Dilma was dismissed by right-wing governments, which were not populist, but they were right-wing governments. That's paved the way for Bolsonaro to emerge and possibly of a, of a dark night for the population of Brazil. Uh, in terms of the attacks on the working class, the attacks on wages, conditions, and on civil liberties and so on. And there will be even, perhaps, death, and also on the environment, the attacks on the indigenous people and so on. And there will be, as a result of this, in our opinion, a reaction from the working class. What is the tasks of the workers' movement in Brazil, and particularly the Marxists, in this situation? It is to gather and try and lead these disparate movements against the Bolsonaro regime, who's invoked the example of the previous military regime that went from 1964, I think it was, to 1985. And that's a horrible regime, which was characterized by death squads of the assassination of workers uh, on the left. And that's entirely possible, <clears throat> could develop in the next period, trying to behead the working class. It will also provoke at a certain stage strikes Movements on civil liberties, I've said, and it will have an effect on other countries in Latin America as well. This is not fascism. <clears throat> it's not possible for the regime in Brazil to go right over to a fascist regime, which represents reaction, capitalist reaction in the most virulent form. It represents the mobilization of the middle class, of the petty bourgeois, as a, a weapon to atomize and destroy the organizations of the working class, and make the masses defenseless, defenseless in the teeth of uh, capital itself. It's not reached that stage. It's reaction. It's very right-wing reaction, attempting to go back to the parallels with the military regime, but not yet able to go over to an open military regime, more like death squads as auxiliaries to the capitalist state itself. And that will provoke a counter-movement amongst the masses. It's already begun. And we can look forward to a situation of a ferocious counter-movement of the working class that this time will learn the lessons of the past period of the failure of the Workers' Party and create a real mass Workers' Party that this time will show a way out for the working class in Brazil and for that matter for the whole of Latin America because Brazil is the key country for Latin America. Yeah, and that's an example of what you said about us being optimistic, isn't it, that... Um even where there are these reactionary uh, forces gaining, we see that there's responses to it from the working class. And even in Latin America, there's obviously in Mexico, there's been a, a left um, elected as well. So it's not all in one direction. Um, and I think you gave you know a good summary there of what we see as the tasks for socialists um, in Brazil. But kind of given everything we've outlined, all of the, the general political processes that are, are going on, what do you think are the key immediate tasks for socialists internationally and maybe particularly here in Britain as well? 
Well, I think that, you know, at the beginning of every new year, we always have to strike an optimistic note because it's not a false optimism. It's an optimism that is being grounded in the objective reality of the contradictions and the failures of the capitalist system, as I've said, but also of the viability of the alternative, which is socialism. And they are very simple and very basic. To get a job, a house, an education, a reasonable living standard for the average worker, for most workers, for all workers in society, possibility of a break. Most workers are very modest in their proposals, too modest. There's enormous latent reserves in society that have been built up by the labour of the working class that can only be harnessed fully under socialism. There's an ecological and environmental disaster that can only be solved by the working class coming to power and organising a democratic socialist regime and by the organisation of the planned use of the resources of the planet, the coefficients developing between the different areas of the world. That's the only solution for humankind. We have on the one side this marvellous example of China, up to recently a relatively uh, underdeveloped country, able to put you know, uh, this, this satellite on the other side of the moon, the first in history. By the way, that would not have been possible in the case of China without, first of all, the organisation of a planned economy. Now it's returning back to capitalism, but the advantages of the planned economy are still used in, in China to, to generate resources like this. We have this on the one side, and we have the barbarism that confronts humankind in relation to the environment, in relation to the economy, in relation to living standards of working people, but we are supremely optimistic. We are the most optimistic force in society, and we're realistic, realistically optimistic. It's not based upon wishful thinking that we think working people will struggle because we say so. Working people will be compelled to fight because capitalism is, is about to try and take back with the right hand the crumbs that they gave to the working class with their, their left hand yesterday and the day before yesterday. To, to the next crisis, it'll be the most devastating crisis that capitalism has probably ever seen. Millions of workers will be radicalised. They will be demanding extreme measures. What are these extreme measures? They're not really extreme. Take the power out of the handful of coop and clippers who control society today. Give them compensation on the basis of proven need. We'll give them the, the uh, universal credit and a bit more to compensate for us taking over their factories and running it democratically in the interests of working people. We'll be doing that in Britain. That's the programme we'll be campaigning for. We'll be doing it in all the countries of Western Europe with the Socialist Party as our co-thinkers. We'll be doing that in the US and in Brazil and in Latin America and the world. And our forces are going to grow. That's not just a boast. That's a promise on the basis of an objective analysis of the situation that's developing. Imagine what would be possible on the basis of a planned organisation of the resources of democratic socialism where all the talents of all the peoples of the world can be liberated in this situation for the common good. We could give a very high living standard to the poorest sections of the world within a generation. We could begin to move towards the idea of socialism on a world scale, of communism in the sense that Karl Marx meant it, not a one-party totalitarian regime. The working class will never tolerate a one-party totalitarian regime after the experience of Stalinism. 
They will demand a change, but they'll demand democracy, they demand the power be put in their hands, and not by any elite, whether it calls itself socialist or capitalist, but by the working people generally, through their parties, and move towards a self-governing commune in the future. That's the real, if you like, future of humankind. That's a future worthwhile fighting for. For any young person, for any middle-aged person for that matter, it's within the grasp. Some of us might not reach that goal, but we lay the ground for the next generation to realise that goal and carry through the tasks of world socialism. Okay, thanks very much for that optimistic message to start 2019, Peter. If you agree with what you've just heard and would like to support this podcast and the Socialist Party's work generally, please consider making a financial contribution. You can donate at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. Also head over to the episode notes at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast for suggested further reading on the various topics Peter mentioned in that discussion as well as checking out the previous episodes of the podcast, including episode 7 on Trump, episode 8 on Brazil, episode 11 on Brexit, and episode 12 on France. And we've got plenty more to come this year on all those topics and many more, so make sure you click subscribe in your podcast app to never miss an episode.